bitch. My poops like Pepsi. Everything I eat wrecks me. Shit so fast comes out at high speed. Share 'cause I'm not the only I B S G R L. Hell, bitch, I poop and tell. Got I B S D for real. Still stay through this ordeal. I like to listen to music in the morning after I have a hit of my bone. Of my bone. Of my bone. I like to listen to music in the morning after I have a hit of my bone. Of my bone. Of my bone. I like to listen to music in the morning after I have a hit of my bone. Bone. If I need to write a song, but it didn't take me very long. Well, now's the end. Uh, yeah. Oh, Adam and Eve. Eve. Good evening. Welcome to Second Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, D. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. Kate Rambo, some big announcements this week. Okay. The first big announcement is uh, we hit 100,000 followers. On the sick and wrong Instagram page. Woo! Well done. I want to I want to give a speech here because uh, oh, you know okay. that I've worked long and hard to build that page. That's what she said. Up to a hundred thousand, um, with little help from anyone else. Uh, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> that's a well, total lie. With little help from my podcasting partner. That's also a lie because I started it and got us on the ship, and then I'm like I. I speak the uh, the truth to the youth, and I tell you what ones will work and won't. And sometimes I will admit I'm wrong. Yeah, but I think I posted the first viral Instagram reel almost a year ago. Was it almost a year Remember ago? Remember when uh, we were leaving Portugal? No, that was a joint effort because I'm also the one who taught you how to do reels. And we did that in Lisbon Airport as we were just getting on a flight to go to Paris, and we were cry laughing in Lisbon Airport over the diarrhea video and then for some in the next two days it it blew up much like diarrhea does that that Japanese like I have a bad case case of of diarrhea diarrhea. it's like a Japanese English instructional video um you know I don't think you can really teach someone who has innate Instagram social media talent like Uh yeah and I think now that we've passed the hundred thousand mark I think we're officially influencers I think it's 100,000 to be influencers. Is it to be an influencer? What are you going to influence people to do? I'm going to influence them to join a cult. I couldn't be a cult leader, though. I'm, I don't think I'm charismatic enough. And I'm also kind of like, I also can't be asked sometimes. So I, I would be in the cult, or maybe I'd be the person who got you into the cult. I think public masturbation. As the cult? No, just in general. I'm going to influence people to <laughs> masturbate publicly. Well, I mean, enough men do that anyway. Yeah, why not? Why not? No, you know, seriously, though, I couldn't have done it without the help of some of these some of these people I'm going to mention. Kate Rambo, of course. Thank you. Uh, Tim Ted. Tim, Tim Ted. Ted. Uh, Wasky, member of the Discord. Yeah. Um, Alexandria from the We Hate You podcast sends me a lot of good videos. I got to say Martin. Martin's a, a, a member of the Sick and Wrong uh, or follows Sick and Wrong page. He sends me a lot of good videos I use, I use sometimes. And Jojo. Jojo actually is a he's a he's got a, a good perception of uh, what will make a viral video. Yeah, thank you to everyone who sends us reels in the name of putting them on the sick and wrong. And account. all the reels that uh, everyone posts to the sick and wrong private group yes. on Facebook. Yeah. That sick and wrong private group on Facebook, I think 70% of the reels I can't use because I would be banned. Yes, Waski. <laughs> but uh, there's a good 30% of really choice reels that are posted there on a regular basis. So I guess what I'm, what I'm saying to, to everybody out there is if you want some lulls, 
some some gut lulls, like ones that you'll 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 probably laugh till you cry. Go check out the Sick and Wrong Instagram page, and definitely sign up for to be a member of the uh, the the private group on Facebook. Sick yeah. and Wrong private group and the Discord too. And Discord, yeah. yeah. I actually I gotta say big ups to the Discord too for sending me a lot of videos. Yeah, thank you. From there too. Thank you, but everyone. I think currently we're at one hundred three thousand. Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy. Jesus. Influencers officially influencers. We're podcast influencers. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means either. Yet somehow we are in the poorhouse. <laughs> come out as Spotify. <laughs> come out as Amazon. Yeah, we're like Joe Rogan without any money. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second big announcement that we have is uh, we're we're moving into a new flat this week. A new we studio. We have a new apartment, new sick wrong studio, about a block away from where we live now. Same neighborhood in West Hollywood, it's but a, uh, but a much better apartment. All right, we're just going down road, as it's say in Cumbria, just going down road. And this is Kate's first USA flat. I'm very excited. This place is awesome, and I've, I'm gushing. My cup floweth over for this new flat. I love it. We're going to deck it out. It's going to look great. It's been an arduous uh, apartment search, and we've probably spent at least the past four months yeah, ha- like hardcore looking. Before it, it was like casually looking and being like, look at this place, look at that. But it's been like, we've had some shoe leather on the on the floor looking. Well, it's been it's been difficult. I mean, rents are insane right now in LA. I don't even want to like, put it this way, median rent in West Hollywood for a two bedroom is $3,800. It's mental. It's mental, mental. Yeah. And uh, I do think what we found is really cool, quite a bit overpriced. But nowhere near the $3,800 range. Yeah. And I would like to point out that what we have is a townhouse, which is much more enjoyable than just a regular flat. We have a townhouse. It is. It's a upstairs it's and a downstairs. Yeah. And there's this really cool outside space, yes. which is kind of rare for a lot of places in a LA. Sweet-ass balcony. Do you know how I'm going to get drunk on that balcony and I'm going to kick so many hangovers on that balcony? Yeah, I think that's what it's for. Exactly. But that's the thing. I mean, we could have moved out to like the valley or something. Fuck I think why? we could find something. No, you want to live in Hollywood. I love West Hollywood. East or Silver Lake or something. Like the neighborhoods that has shit going on. Yeah. I mean, if you know? you're at the point in your life where you're like, let's go and live out in the valley, I'd be like, why don't we just move to like, I don't know, a city that can like, we could buy a really fucking huge house for, for like, I'd be like, fuck it, let's go to like Minneapolis or somewhere. Well, that is a good point because even if we were living in the valley, we still can afford a house out here. Yeah. <laughs> I want to live in the valley. Fuck it. But this, this is a really cool spot. I think it works well for us. Um, we are sacrificing central air and a dishwasher, well, but we have laundry in the unit. We have laundry and we're also not sacrificing a dishwasher because that's your rule. <laughs> yeah, hardly. Well, I cook and then you clean to my standards. I will occasionally wash dishes when I have to. No, I'm joking. I'm we usually do that, actually. We, we work pretty well because you, you're a way better cook than I am. And so I don't mind cleaning up the washing the dishes. But I prefer to have a dishwasher. And I've had one for the past like five years. And that was that is going to be something I'm going yeah. to miss. I clean as I go as well. As most like competent chefs, you'd like cook. So you clean as you go. But this this place is a historic building, so yeah, they kind of don't have a dishwasher. Some of the uh, the more modern amenities. But it's a, just a great, fabulous old building, and it's, it gives me OJ, it's great. OJ coming to kill Nicole vibes, like how Bundy Drive used to look. Actually, yeah, the uh, kind of the the walkway up to the apartment. Because it's a couple different buildings there, but the walkway up to the apartment looks just like where OJ, where Nicole lived, Nicole Brown Simpson lived. 
um, after, was it after she left OJ? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, where's that? In like Brentwood? Brentwood. We went to yeah. go and see it, didn't we? Were we? Less, yeah. Was, Bun- was it Bundy? And he was at, the house was at Gretna Green, and then this is Bundy, wasn't it, at Brentwood? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, Pua but the Ron. walkway kind of has like, you know, it has like palm trees, and it's, you know, like this foliage. It just looks similar to where Nicole Brown Simpson was stabbed to death. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Did, hopefully hopefully not OJ is going to be lurking outside with a knife. But I think the main reason you wanted to move over to that neighborhood is because we're surrounded by Jews and you have a Jew fetish. I do have a Jew fetish and I'm really happy. Like, you know, Jewish neighborhoods, like, there's going to be no crime. There's going to be no Christmas. On a Saturday, I'm going to like go and sit with a six-pack of beer on a patio chair, and I'm going to watch them all go to temple in all their finery in those big hats, the shrimal hats. And then I'm, by the time they come back from temple, I'll be toasted, and I'll just be like leering at them. I'll be like, hey, daddy, looking Kate, sweet. Kate has a, a very unnerving sexual infatuation with the furry hats that they wear and the curly sideburns. It's the curly sideburns. It's the curlies and it's the wool suits. And can I just say, I am also not alone. I have met other people who have this fetish. Who fetishize Hasidic Jews. Yes, and I would like to give a shout out to the lovely Alex from We Hate You Podcast. Wait, she has a Jew fetish too? No, 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 Alex. Oh, Alex and oh the partner from, okay, yeah. Alex and Alexandria. So Alex, Alex me and Alex um, talk about, is attracted mm-hmm. to Jews as well. Yes. And I have another friend called Jane and like our main conversations would be about shagging, like which hosp- hot priests we would shag and which like Hasids we would shag. Because like Father Caress in The Exorcist is hot. But he's not Jewish. No, he's Greek. But he's like a hot priest. I would like. I used to call him Father Caress Me. But I don't get it. Do you like like a Jerry Seinfeld type looking Jew, Ooh, or are yeah. you looking for like the big beard and the chassid with a furry hat? I just like them all. Like I would bang Woody all Allen. different types of Jews. I like. Yeah, I just like a Jew. I just can't help. I don't it. Know where this comes from. <laughs> um, but so anyway, the neighborhood that we're moving to it's in West Hollywood, but it's in the Chabad Lubavitch community. So a lot of people don't probably don't aren't familiar with that term Lubavitch. I'm not or Chabad. A uh, Lubavitch is a kind of a sect of Hasidism. So when you see a Hasidic Jew, it's like it's the Jew we're talking about, like the really Jewy Jews, the curlies. with the curly hair mm. and the big fur hats, yes. wearing the black suits all the time, and they got the strings, the tzitzit um, that they have like uh, around their waist. And yeah, they they don't use electricity at all uh, during uh, on the Shabbos on Saturday. So it's, it's, it's funny because I've had friends that live in the buildings that they own because they're very wealthy. That whole neighborhood. They own mm-hmm. all those homes. Um, but I've, I've had friends that lived in buildings with Hasids and they'll come and try to find the goy, like the goy that lives next door. Which will be me. Or the shiksa. They'll be like, hey, hey, can you turn on the lights? Or can you turn on my oven? Can you shut off my oven? Can you turn on my AC? Do not, and as... <laughs> As an enterprising British Asian of Asian descent, I'm going to be like, of course I'll do this for you. But the next time you're knocking up some Jewish pastries or a holler, you come at me. I Ooh, want maybe they could do an exchange. That's what I want. I'll be like, I will turn all these lights on for you for like the next Saturday as long as I'm in this area. But I want some pastries. I want some cookies. It's what I want out of you. So Chabad Lubavitch, they're like ultra-Orthodox Jews. But they're, they're part of Hasid's. And so they're one of the fastest growing and most influential denominations of Judaism, which oh. is bizarre if you think about it, because they have so many rituals and traditions. Like, I couldn't imagine growing up in that community, having to have my curly, the little curly sideburns and wear yeah. the hat. 
I must say the kids are styling though. When you see the kids in the suits, the kids look pretty cool. And the I kind of like the way the women dress too because they're all in like very Laura Ashley inspired, like nearly gunny sacks, just very plain, long Victorian dresses. Well, they're and they're either like powdered blue or beige. Black. I saw a lot of black on. Yeah, Temple there's black Day. ones too. The older women usually tend to wear black. And I I also smiled um, at one of the Jewish men and I've soon learned that as a woman I should not be smiling at the Jewish men because he just glared at me but when the wife and the kids walked past they were like hello really happy so I was like from now on I'm just gonna acknowledge the women and the kids I mean it's weird it's like they're kind of like Amish I remember I I went on a date with a girl when I first moved here Um, I went on a date with a girl that met on like I think OkCupid back then what's the Jew dating site J-Date. J-Date, yeah. No, it wasn't J-Date. I think it was OkCupid. Okay we went and picked her up. We ate at an Italian restaurant over in West Hollywood. And as we were leaving the restaurant, we saw some Hasidic Jews getting into like an Escalade. Okay. And she looks at me and she's like, you know, the Amish do really well here. <laughs> and I look back at her and I was just like, I'm definitely getting laid tonight. Oh, my God. <laughs> like 100%. And did you? <laughs> Yeah, I did. Um, but I was just like, how many kinds of stupid can you put in one sentence? You know, it's like Amish people don't drive, number one. Number two, there's no fucking Amish people in L.A. Those are Hasidic Jews. But she obviously, she wasn't from L.A. And I think she had never encountered Hasidic Jews. So All the Amish. in her defense. Or the Amish. So, in her, But maybe she hadn't encountered Amish. But she, you'd think she'd know that they didn't drive. But anyway, the, the, uh, the group here, though, it's mostly... Lubavitch Jews and they're the same group in uh, Brooklyn in New York remember what I was talking about when I was walking through Brooklyn oh, yeah, yeah. and visited Joe and I was in this like Hasidic community and it's kind of cult like like of the course. way they, they interact with each other and the way they you know their their traditions and their rituals it is odd but the interesting thing about the Chabad Lubavitch community is they're known for their outreach to assimilated Jews much like myself Oh, so you could call on them for help. Like if, I don't know, something was wrong in our flat, could you just go and chap on like one next door and they would come over and help? No, I think what they're trying to do is recruit. Oh, like, so they're like trying what to recruit, I was saying. Well, right. they're trying to recruit Jews who, you know, Jews like myself that aren't very religious. They're trying to turn you, you know, turn you into a Lubavitch, Chabad Lubavitch Jew. They want you back. So it's interesting on, uh, in the neighborhood, and you'll see on Rosh Hashanah, you know, the Jewish New Year in September, we'll be walking around and you'll see like uh, these Lubavitch teens with the shofar walking around and be like, and they'll come up to you and be like, are you Jewish? And usually they don't approach the women, but they'll go to the men and they'll be like, are you Jewish? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, have you heard the shofar today? And it's like, uh, no. And then they'll just do it. I mean, we'll do it next year. You've got a year to relearn how to play the shofar to impress all <laughs> so our I'll neighbors. I'll pull out my own and be like, really? Let's go. Oh, it's like, this is a knife. No, <laughs> this a is a knife. <laughs> It'll be a duel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dueling shofar. But in Times Square, I've been there where they they come up to you and they pass out menorahs. Like oh. little, little, tiny, like plastic menorahs. That's cute. Yeah. Or tin. They're tin menorahs. So quick history on the Chabad Lubavitch. They were founded in 1775 as an older religion by a Rabbi Schnur Zalman. Um, and the, the term Chabad is an acronym from three Hebrew words, Chokmah, Bina, and Da'at, which is the first three sephirot of the Kabbalistic tree of life. It means wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Remember in the early 2000s when all the celebrities were like, yeah, I'm, the, I'm like a Kabbalah member. Yeah, Kabbalah. And I wear the thread around my wrist. Like, remember when Madonna was into it? Madonna was super into it. And so I, was I'm Paltrow. Sure some of them are. Paltrow was, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it Maybe was Maybe not fashion. now. 
Like, <laughs> probably not now. <laughs> but what's, what's interesting about them, Chabad schools, you'd think they're like devout Jews, super pro-Israel, you know, but actually they don't even mark Israel's Independence Day. Oh, shit. Yeah. And they're adamantly opposed to the national anthem, Hatikva. Even waving an Israeli flag or having one in a Chabad center is frowned upon. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's very, like, ironic. You wouldn't think that that's the way they'd be. And so you've seen, like, you know, the current situation with the war in, against Israel and uh, Hamas, you've seen some of these uh, Hasids, like, protesting the war. Yeah. You know, protesting Israel. Yeah. And so people are like, even the Jews are protesting Israel. It's like, no. Even the Chabad community and a small minority of the Chabad community is protesting Israel. But Israel does, the Chabad community does offer strong support to the Israeli soldiers. And they do like have, you know, they have Israeli heads of state coming meeting the Chabad leadership and all that. Um, so Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, <laughs> known as Rebbe, to his uh, to the, the community, he was the lead, the kind of leader of the Chabad Lubavitch community. And this is in the '60s. He once met with yeshiva students. Yeshiva is like the Orthodox Jewish schools that they go to. This is in the '60s, and they asked him, "They're like, are you a Zionist?" And he said, "If Israel is a state of Jews, then I am not a Zionist. But if it's a Jewish state, then I am a Zionist." So what if it's only Jews who control Israel, then I'm a Zionist. But because Jews don't control Israel, then he isn't? No, no, what? not exactly. So the issue that these ultra-Orthodox Hasids have is they, they have an issue with the government of the state of Israel. Because the government of the state of Israel is secular. Yeah. And I've heard people online right. that are misinformed, don't really understand the situation. They call Israel theocracy. It's not, actually. It's a secular government. And in fact, there's Arabs that are, you know, it, serving, serving the Knesset. Yeah. yeah. So what these what these hostages feel is that Israel should be a Jewish Ish. government in a Jewish land with Jewish laws. And since it's not, not. they're against it. Okay. I, they're right. against a non-religious government. Okay. They feel that uh, that you need to identify with the Jewish religion and it should be ruled by the laws of the Torah. Oh, my God. Which it's not. No, it should remain secular because that's how all countries should be. Secular. Exactly. They, they, they should be. And I mean, I know there are a lot of countries in the Middle East that aren't, but those, you know, I, I feel that's problematic with the people because then you have a government that's obviously biased and run by religion. Yeah. So once Israel indicated that's a, a secular country, the Rebbe, um, who's Kicked an uncompromising off. believer, like all of them are, said, I can't be identified with a state that separates Judaism from its governance. All right, so we'll come and live in America then, which is a secular country. Yeah, they do, but they they feel like it's a diaspora religion. They could be Jewish anywhere. They don't have to be in Israel. Yeah, yeah. However, attitude has shifted after October 7th. Okay. So, so with the recent attack in Israel by Hamas, hundreds of Chabad youth have booked flights from New York and Los Angeles to come, come to Israel and serve in the IDF. But... How can they do that? Like, isn't like Jewish lesson number one, like we won't, like we love living, we're not going to harm anyone. Well, I mean, it's, it is an interesting shift in their attitude historically. And one of the things that uh, has been very controversial in Israel is that a lot of this Hasidic community that live in Israel are exempt from serving in the, in the war. So when you're 18 in Israel, you have to serve, I think it's three years for men, two years for women. 
But the Hasidic Jews, like the you know the the really Lubavitch Orthodox Jews, have an exemption because they feel like they're pursuing religious study, so they don't need to be in the army. That's I'm not sure if Scandinavia still does this or like which countries in Scandinavia participate. But in Scandinavia, after you finish school, if you aren't going into university, then you go into the army for a couple of years, and it's that way. But if you go to university, you don't have to. If you go, if you choose to go, if you choose or want to go to university, yeah, you don't have to serve time. That's not how it is in Israel. In Israel, everybody Everybody goes. But in some ways, the Hasidic Jews and like ended up getting this this exemption. Like in some ways, I can kind of think it's kind of good. Like I'm not saying everyone should go into the fucking army because it's not for everyone, but it puts you all at the same level, and all of you have a shared experience. And I bet a lot of people go there and bang. I bet a lot of people go there and party. I mean, on the no effects backstage passport of Israel, they're all, all the kids are like dropping out. They're like, oh, I pretended I had ear infection, came out of army by putting gunk from my teeth. You know, you can just tell like. Well, yeah, you want to get out of it. But I think part of the reason, especially now, there's like this sense of Israeli pride and nationalism. And I think, um, you know, there's been huge protests against the, in, in Israel against this Hasidic uh, exemption, that they should be fighting alongside all their countrymen. Uh-huh. In I order bet. for Israel to survive, these people need to fight and serve in the army. So there's, that, that's been an issue, but now things have changed. Because on October 7th, they're like, we're going to join the, the IDF and we're going to fight. But yeah, you know, it's weird. I mean, there's got to be some, uh, some ethical conflicts, some moral quandary, because Hasidic, like Chabad Lubavitch, take an oath to preserve human life. And right. yet now they're using, you know, military technology <laughs> beyond your even imagination to destroy human life. But are they doing what, it, in Britain, we call it the TA. So it's the Territorial Army. The tits and ass? Tits and ass. You can be in the tits and ass. And like, I could have gone into it. Loads of people can't. I think you can join up until you're like 30 something. And you go on a couple of weekends away and like you spend maybe one weekend a month doing like army shit. But if you were to ever go to war, you are like the first to be called up and you're the first into slaughter. So isn't this what they're going to be? No, those are reservists. No, they have to serve two years. They have to serve on the front line. So, right. They're fully fledged. Yeah, they're they're in the IDF. Oh, shit. Yeah, they're a member... You know, Why would you sign up for of that? the army? If I was an American Jew, I'd be like, fuck that. I'm going to stay I, here I and eat some I think they bagels. believe in the existence of Israel. What I find interesting is, are they going to trade in their, their, their strimals, their furry hats for the they have weird to. chef hats of the IDF? Have you seen those, those chef hats? Yes. I think I was telling you about those. But these hats are called the mitznefet in Hebrew, which translates into a nightcap. <laughs> it's like oh. a nightcap, like a night, like a, a nightcap that you'd wear with your pajamas. Do they go? Do they have like the little one candle stick stick? And you know they're going for a little snoo snoo. <laughs> well, it's a bizarre looking like poofy chef hat that's all camouflage. I've never seen anything like it. No. It attaches to their regular combat helmet and obscures the rigid, you know, round shape of a helmet. All right. Okay. So. All the military military helmets have the same round shape. So giving it this like asymmetrical shape makes it just harder to spot. That's kind of clever. So for satellites and for snipers, you're like, what is that? It's like looks like a big poofy camo bag on your head. While we're talking about hats of war, I think we can all be in agreement here that the Kaiser in World War One, magnificent. That's the one with the spike, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, very There's, cool. They've never topped that. They never will. But that's a helmet though. That's a hard helmet that you'd see. 
if you're from a miles away. But I yeah. think that's good though. That's like you're like I'm here for the Kaiser. Come at me, bitch. But the mitts plus they didn't effect, have snipers back then, did they? Chef hat flops about and it takes an irregular form, so it's really hard to recognize. Yeah, the corner of your eye from the, or from the shadows. And it prevents light from reflecting off the wearer's helmet. So it just makes you just easier to camouflage when necessary. Just, so I wonder what they'll feel about that. I mean, I guess your head's still being covered, so they might be cool with it. I'm just imagining like 200 of them like weeble wobbling in a field. It just sort just of like, flops about. It's, it's bizarre. I'll post a picture of it. The other thing I think that might be a bit of a moral quandary for the, uh, the hostage joining the IDF is I wonder how they feel about fighting alongside some of the, the most fit female soldiers in the world. Yeah, and like, God, heaven forbid, a woman should smile at them. <laughs> like, heaven <laughs> forbid it. It is so bizarre. Like, go check out the Israeli Army Girls Insta page. They're so hot. They're definitely one like, of it's the crazy. hottest. I was trying to think, I'm sure like Slovakia and Slovenia have some hot chicks. But do they serve in the army? Like, do they have to serve in the army? They don't have to, but I'm pretty sure they do. But nothing beats the... I I mean, it's like, it's a stereotype now that they're all there and hot. And when you go on the gar sites, the gar sites make a big deal of like, look how hot they were before death. And, you know, they do the vice versa (laughs) and shit like that. But the IDF is among one of the only armies in the world that can script women into uh, into their ranks under a mandatory draft law. So as of 2021, women make up 40% Shit. of the IDF's conscript soldiers and about 25% of the officer corps. So they're not just sitting behind a desk. No, good they for them. They got Uzis and they're like, you know, killing people. Hot car. Hot yeah. car bitches. Um, in 2020, the Supreme Court decided to allow uh, women to, uh, to submit a petition for the IDF to allow female conscripts to serve in elite combat units. This is like so amazing. I'm like, I'm all about this because women are sneaky. And if anyone knows how to sneak into like someone's house and get shit, it's a woman. You know, I remember when uh, I was a kid and I went to Israel and I was like 12 or 13, 12 or 13. It was right, right around the time I had my bar mitzvah. I didn't get to even, I didn't get to do the cool thing when you go with birthright when you're like 18. Oh, that's when you, you fuck as well. And you hang yeah. on commits and do drugs. I was, too, I was much younger. So I went with like a group of Jews from my dad's synagogue and a group of Christians from the Episcopalians. My dad was friends with this Episcopalian minister and a group of Catholics. And we all kind of went there and saw all the religious sites. Um, but I remember distinctly when we were walking around Jerusalem, you would see these like beautiful Israeli like female soldiers with just like a machine gun, just sitting there smoking a cigarette, just holding a fucking huge it's Uzi hot. It's really or a machine hot. gun. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I remember did your being little like, preteen penis get a little woody? I did. I prematurely ejaculated. Yeah, and back then your loads had power, so like it you did. probably could have shot a hole through the Wailing Wall. <laughs> I'm wondering if these female IDF soldiers are in charge of the PSR program. PSR, what's that? Posthumous sperm retrieval. Oh, my God. <laughs> Something tells me that they're not because they're badass bitches. I know, but that'd be great if you change, train these elite, elite soldiers to go in there and uh, just retrieve the sperm. Of dead people? How? So as the scale of the tragedy from the Hamas onslaught on October 7th became clear, um, hundreds of young men, both soldiers and civilians, were killed. IVF specialists report being called to quickly try to perform PSR, posthumous sperm retrieval, on an unprecedented scale. I could wank off a dead man. 
I mean... I would have no moral quandary about doing it, especially if I'm being paid really well. There's various methods to retrieve the sperm. We're going to get into it in oh. just one minute. But we're going to call this Operation Chode Milk. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into Operation Chode Milk, um, let's chat about something a little more fulfilling than a beautiful female IDF soldier giving you your last wink. Let's take the wrong patron. So if you listen to this show every week, all we ask is for you to sign up for the Patreon and support us. I mean, you keep the show going. We, uh, Yeah, we have no advertisers, no spot. Well, apart from the Adam and Eve thing, which is a bit of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do this by ourselves. We're for the people, by the people. For only five bucks a month, we do an entire second show. So for $5 a month, you get access to the Sick and Wrong Second Show, um, where I would say it's a bit more personal, a bit more saucy. Spicy. We talk about our real life quandaries on there. Yeah, last week we were kind of going into detail about the Thanksgiving, um, Kate's first Thanksgiving dinner. Drinksgiving. At, uh, yeah, Drinksgiving in uh, the Bay Area with Wackerly and uh, some other friends and my sister. Um, and this week on Second Show, we chat about, I guess, more details about moving into our new apartment, uh, as well as holiday parties that I'm going to have to deal with, with work, and the White Elephant Gift Exchange in my idea. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. For the gift. It is it brilliant. It is brilliant. So um, sign up to uh, the Sick and Wrong Patreon. Get access, $5 a month to get access to Sick and Wrong Second Show, a whole extra show every week, as well as access to the official Sick and Wrong Discord. And if you don't want to sign up for Patreon, you don't have to. You can, you can access Second Show on the Apple Podcasts. I, I post the, the show to Apple Podcasts now. It's only $5 a month. It's a great way to support the show. And right now, we could really need your, use your help. And we're spending a lot of money on this move. And we're setting up a whole a new, new Sick and Wrong studio. Yeah, I kind of, I want to replace my old mixer. I want to replace these mics. I kind of want to get something that sounds a little, a little more professional, even though I don't think we sound that bad. No, I agree with it. we yeah, definitely could time. use your help right now. Um, and so also, you know, there's uh, if you do want to, if you do sign up to uh, the Patreon, $5 a month gets you access to the second show. But for $10 a month, you get access to the Sick and Wrong archives. Uh, you also get access to our bonus episodes, such as um, uh, the serial killer star signs, as well as overkill. So we, we got a lot going on. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do appreciate the support. So let me play this quick promo, and then let's chat about extracting semen from the corpses of Israeli soldiers. Hey, sick and wrong listeners. If you're not currently a sick and wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. I used to write letters to like my, like I used to write letters to like Molly Crew and like. Wait, did Tommy Lee? I don't remember exactly who I was writing it to. Wait, do you have these letters? No, I, I sent it to the to the to the address. To the what, what did you say yeah. in the letter? Like, I want to touch your hair. Like, I'm sure it was just. I'm sure. I don't know. I was in like fifth grade. Yeah, but what would you say? Or to- fourth grade. <laughs> I don't know, like who. Like, just wave, man. You're so cool, man. Yeah. I hope when I grow up, man, I'm just like you, cool you dudes, are, man. Yeah, you're did latex you pants, man. I did, but I'll say this: Poison. <laughs> poison is the only band that actually sent something back, like a dick. What band? did they it was, send uh, you Brett, back? Brett Michaels' lock of hair. No way. <laughs> it was like just some like you know I don't know. Our, here's our thanks for thanks for writing to it. A list of shit you could buy or whatever. Like <laughs> join our pay for our <laughs> fan club our or fan something. Club. Yeah, but at least they sent something back. Like n- nobody else. Wait, fucking Axel Rose didn't send anything back. <laughs> Fuck him. 
asshole. Do you think like uh, Vince Neil still has your letter? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he does. He, he just hasn't gotten around to it. He just hasn't written you back. <laughs> it's just covered in cum. Yeah. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever Okay, Rambo, let's talk about Operation Chode Milk. How it all goes down. Why do they do it? I feel this is going to be an episode I can have really relate to. I think you could. I think you'd, uh, I think this might be a good job for you. I think this is my true calling. Posthumous sperm retrieval. Yeah. PSR. So dozens of families of Israeli soldiers who have fallen in the conflict have applied to have their sperm posthumously extracted and frozen. So not their sperm, but the sperm of their loved ones. Yeah. Like, you know, so if you were fighting in the IDF, I'd be like, I want you to sign up to this. And I, and I can sign up for like a biological will that says like, hey, if my you know spouse wants my sperm, she can have it. Nice. That was yeah. very giving of you. It is. Thank you. Know? you. Good giving game. <laughs> so it's not, it's not unheard of for sperm to be retrieved from a dying or deceased individual. Like posthumous sperm retrieval um, was first, I guess the first act of retrieval of sperm from a cadaver was reported in 1980 in a case involving a 30-year-old man who became brain dead uh, following a, a car accident. And his family requested that his sperm be preserved and frozen. Did he ever, pro- well, did they ever procreate with that sperm? No, it didn't work because they didn't have the technology. Oh, but the first successful conception using sperm retrieved uh, post-mortem was in 1999, which did lead to a successful birth the following year. That's so weird, isn't it? It is bizarre. Being that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Where's daddy, mummy? Oh, he's dead. Zombie sperm. It is zombie sperm. So PSR was first approved in Israel in 2003. Uh, the instructions from the country's attorney general, who at the time said that procreation is the most important and substantive issue in Israeli society. Oh, it's like Japan. And they're yeah. all just slowly dying out because none of them are fucking. I think so many die and that, that you need to keep, you need to keep <laughs> building up IDF soldiers. So recently, after October 7th, Israeli hospitals have been inundated with requests to cryogenically freeze the sperm of people who died or are dying in the conflict. And so this program was aimed at harvesting the sperm, mostly of the deceased young males, soldiers who were killed in battle. Um, but I think they've also applied it to people who died in the kibbutz in the, the, the various attacks I mean, um, that occurred on the 7th. I definitely know it's way easier to get sperm than it is to get eggs. Because like when women donate eggs, I think like that's kind of like it's really good of them because you have to go through a major operation as they suck those eggs out of you. It's not like just like a dude goes into a cubicle, has a wank, and that's it. It's like a major operation. Well, the for question women is to donate though, eggs. if you died, could I cut into you and get those eggs out? And how long would those last? Like if I died right now on the spot, I'm already I'm already well. Let's degrading. say you died in a car accident. And I'm like, you got to get those eggs. I need them. I mean, you have to be fucking super fast. You have to be like Superman or like a Homelander ripping them out of me because the second you start dying, you're decaying. Well, 
you do have a bit of a, a a window for sperm. I don't know what the window is for eggs, eggs. but you I'd have be, a window for sperm. Yeah, I would wonder. So the the goal here is to perpetuate the deceased genetic legacy, but there's a lot of ethical issues with this. Well, obviously. Yeah. So the PSR program had, till November 9th, been carried out on 33 men killed in Hamas's cross-border raid on October 7th. 29 were soldiers, and the remaining four were civilians. Right. So, so far, 33. Um, but, and, and what's really interesting about this is, alongside this, hundreds of Israeli women have been volunteering not only to carry the embryo from the dead man's sperm <gasps> via IVF and vitro fertilization, but also to mother these children afterwards. Because it would be like, you're having a martyr. You're having a hero in the house. You're having, a war you're baby. giving birth to a hero. Yeah, I mean, there's something kind of very Nazi-ish about this. Like the Nazis would have been so into this. It's just kind of odd that you're inseminating an unknown volunteer. Like, don't you think there's legal issues further down the road? Because now this person's going to be an inherit an inheritor. That's um, well. I imagine they're probably going to match you up well, and it'll be up to the family. But I'd be like, so I never met this person. What if they turn? What if they were a total cunt, and then your kid grows up being a total cunt? And you're like, you got this from your dead dad that I never ma- met. He was a cunt. I know he was. But I mean, there's got to be psychological and emotional complications for the kid because you're growing up as an orphan, as a zombie sperm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, there's a there's a huge gray area to this, uh, but I don't think Israel cares. Um. So PSR was previously open to partners, provided relatives didn't object. So even if you wanted it, the parents of the deceased could object. Um, but the parents of the deceased had to apply for legal permission. Okay. So you had to p- apply for legal permission if you want it. And that's what's been happening recently. It's the parents who want the kid. They want the grandchild. Yeah, they want the grandchild. They want, it's grief. It's grief. Well, a lot talking. of their well, a lot of these soldiers and these you know early twenty two. They don't. They're not married. Yeah, but I think this is also grief because you want something. You want a piece of your child back when your child has been taken away from you, especially in traumatic circumstances like this. You know, dying in a war. No matter who dies in a war, it's fucking sad for them. But I mean, I kind of think it shouldn't be allowed. Well, that's the thing. There used to be, you know, there used to be this like, I guess, kind of decision time like where they evaluate the 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 deceased parents they evaluate the situation you got to get approval from the government but the ministry of health has recently just slashed the red tape since october 7th and they said hospitals are instructed during the war to approve requests from psr from the deceased parents without referring them to a family court for any kind of judicial proceedings this is gonna have fast tracking horrible consequences down the road so sperm lives on briefly after death. Bless them. They're just swimming around the balls. They don't know what's going on until they suddenly stop swimming. And that's why it's possible for doctors, using, you know, usually like a fertility specialist, to retrieve it from testicular tissue. They just stick a big old needle in your scrotum then and just suck you dry. Suck it out. And then the live sperm cells are then transferred and frozen in liquid nitrogen. It's a very demolition man, all of this, and I love it. <laughs> um... So the demand's been really high, as I was mentioning before. According to Dr. Shimi Barda, laboratory director of, uh, of the unit at a Tel Aviv's Ishlov Hospital, um, said that the IDF has offered families the option when informing them of their loss. They proactively suggest it. So when the IDF calls you, like, this is, has to be awkward. The IDF calls you and is like, 
I'm really sorry. Your son died. Pick you're a good Jew name. Battling your Hyman. I mean, your son Hyman. Hyman has died. You know, that's offensive, Hyman. Your son oh, Hyman. Should, no, but no, but I thought Hyman <laughs> is the nickname of Hyman. I know, but Jesse Jackson also called New York Hyman Town. But it is Hyman Town. <laughs> Once again, the anti-Semitism <laughs> runs deep in this one. Um, but no, Hyman. so they call you and they're like, you know, they'd probably be like an Israeli name, like Shmooly. We'll go with Shmooly. Okay. Shmooly. You know, it's like Shmooly died, We're killed by a Hamas bomb. And uh, we suggest you harvest your son's semen in case you might want to use it later. Well, I think they would go into it more subtly to begin with. I think they'd be like, we noticed that your son's an organ donor. We're just making sure that these are the uh, the organs that we're giving up. We're going to give his kidneys, his liver, his skin, his corneas. And then do you mind if we just stick a massive needle in his balls and we'll extract his take sperm? Semen. And we'll take his semen. We'll put it on ice. Is this okay? Is this okay? Do you think they say, like, we noticed... You got a good-looking kid there. He's, I tell and you what, this Hyman is handsome. more good-looking Jews. So I suggest you keep his sperm. This is why I've, I should be on the phone calls doing this. <laughs> so detecting live sperm is most likely in the first 24 hours after death because the timing Seriously? is crucial. Yeah, they've limited the time frame to 72 hours, though they suggest that 44 to 45 hours is the maximum. And the manner of death is also important. Well, yeah. So it depends on the state of the body, how it was kept, and how severe the injuries were. Basically, the balls still need to be attached to the body. Yeah, or your body can't be blown to bits. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have some balls. (laughs) So how does it work, Kate Rambo? This is what I'm dying to know. I'm dying to know who is on the ground with the big old needle or the very handsy hands just looking for balls. You know, I'd like to think it's those really hot idea female soldiers just going out there and just wanking off the dying soldiers just like one last time. It doesn't really work like that. So to perform the retrieval, a surgeon or a urologist conducts an epididymal aspiration. So the extraction of sperm with a needle through the skin. So they're just sticking uh, an injection in there and just sucking out the sperm. Just all of it. Uh, They can do a testicular biopsy, uh, which is basically a complete removal Removal. of the testicles. They can do irrigation (laughs) or aspiration of the vas deferens, or... Is that going through the penis? Through the tube. No, that's the tube. They can actually... Because usually there's sperm in there. They can actually just suck the sperm out of the tube. Oh, my goodness. Or they can do rectal probe electro ejaculation so they're stimulating your g-spot and then you're coming into the cup when you're dead electro ejaculation is the name of my first ddm record that's hilarious this is necrophilia if you're sticking something up a dead man's ass to stimulate his g-spot so that he will come that's necrophilia well, you know, I had to look up electroejaculation because it's a cool word, and I'm going to try to use it as much, much as yeah, I can I like in regular conversation, especially at work. But it's a procedure used to obtain semen samples from sexually mature male mammals. So not just humans. All of <laughs> They do it from, uh, from male mammals. Uh, the procedure is used for breeding programs and research purposes uh, for various species, as well as in the treatment of ejaculatory dysfunction in human males. So what they do is they take an electric probe, they insert it right into your anus, right next to the prostate gland, and then they deliver an AC like voltage, like 12 to 24 volts at a frequency of 60 hertz. And then it, 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 the probe's activated for one to two seconds 
stimulating ejaculation because the current stimulates the nearby nerves, resulting in a contraction of the pelvic muscle, and boom, ejaculation. That has to be done when you are nearly dead then, because you can't do that on a dead man, because like your nerves don't work. Your nerves are dead. Yeah, so I imagine the dying soldiers, just he's just like, he's about to go. Milk (laughs) me. But I wonder if he's just like, you know, I'm I'm dying, and they're like, listen, we got to retrieve your sperm, and he can't get hard. They're whacking him, whacking him, then they flip him over, pull his pants down, and they put the electric volt right up the ass. Like well, a cattle prod right up the ass. There's a good way and bad way to look at this. Obviously, no death is dignified. We're all just an, like human sacks of meat animals at the end of the day. <laughs> but they do say that when you die, your brain releases a huge amount of like natural DMT. I can't remember the name of the chemical compound now. So you're like riding high when you're dying. You just fucking rush. Rushing. One last orgasm. So, Can you imagine how this yeah, feels? Yeah, I'm thinking... Even though you've been pounded in the ass, that probably orgasm is probably the greatest orgasm of your life. And the last orgasm of your life. And the last one. Imaginatively, yeah, yeah. It's like petite mort. You die. Do you think Harrison ever did electro ejaculation? That whole time you were talking about it, I was thinking about Harrison and how I much he's I guarantee he tried it. Of course he would have tried it. Didn't he have? I remember on like, it must have been on the second show on the patron that he was talking about that he had been trying like french ticklers like french uh electrifying things i'm sure he did oh he did yeah electrostimulation yeah. on the genitals yeah, yeah so he was into this sounding i think is what it's called oh is it yeah but i don't know <laughs> if he's ever put like an electric butt plug up his ass i think that's what he was gearing up to <laughs> fentanyl is a terrible drug i would be surprised yeah. i would be surprised so once the sperm is ex- extracted it can be frozen and stored the same way fertility clinics you know, freeze a living donor's semen. And when the deceased partner is ready for pregnancy, healthcare providers can fertilize one of their eggs with a sperm in a lab, you know, like using in vitro fertilization, like a test tube baby. But if the sperm was not ejaculated as semen, Dr. Jesse Mills here, a urologist and director of the men's clinic at UCLA, said a woman can't get pregnant through intrauterine insemination. So they have to do it in vitro. Okay, yeah, in a dish, basically. Uh, the success rate of these pregnancies um, has not been widely studied, and neither is the health of the children conceived in this way. But a September 2015 uh, human rep- reproduction report said that four women undergoing IVF using sperm from their deceased partners all got pregnant. One baby was born premature, but the other ones were all normal health and normal development. I think pre- premature birth is a very common thing with IVF as well. Yeah. yeah. So, um, So, yeah, so the hospital usually speaks directly to the families. And they have, you know, um, um, employees, and that's their job, to be like social workers, to go and chat with the families and say, hey, listen, we managed to spree- freeze some of your chowed milk, some of the chowed milk, and if you want to use it later, you're welcome to. It's I wonder right if they there. give it just like a gift, like a little frozen, like, I'm picturing something like, you know, like what Han Solo was frozen in. Oh, the carbonite. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, it's your dead son's sperm. That's how it would go. Uh, They say it's very emotional, it's very hard, but we give them some hope. It's very hard. Carry on. Uh But I mean, would you want, like, would you want them to extract some of my sperm so you could put it in your curio cabinet? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I'd be keeping it in the curio cabinet, like, encased in time. I wouldn't be like, I just cannot wait for a scientist to put your sperm inside a Petri dish and then it will move into one of my eggs, which has been extracted from me. And then they're going to put it back inside of me. And then nine months later, guess what? 
It's no, a go- I, it's a golem. <laughs> I think what you would do is you would um probably take it out every now and then, open it up, and just sniff, sniff it, it like poppers. Yeah, and be like, oh, I remember that hit. But that's, by this point, <laughs> that's a great smell. <laughs> it smells so great now it isn't fresh and it's been in my Kira cabinet for four and a half years <laughs> and my other I will have remarried by this point because you know I'll have gotten over yeah, but it you can still sneak a popper but my next husband will be even dewier and you, you'll hate it you'll come and haunt me I will haunt you if I that. get with an even dewier Jew he's like what you sniffing over there and I'm like nothing <laughs> so a man named Irit Oren Gunders is the founder of Or Lamish Pachot which means light to the families. And it's a nonprofit that supports the families of fallen soldiers. And uh, he's campaigned for parents to have access to PSR. He said, we need to give them hope and open their hearts again, and only grandchildren will do that. Okay. It's not like they want a baby instead of their own son. It's their grandchild that they never got to have. Well, no, they do want a baby now. Now they can't have their yeah, son. They're like, I want I, anything will do. Any, but slice. they want like a you know a, a replica of their son. Exactly, it's so, disturbing. Are you going to answer the question of who is out in the field doing this? Who's extracting the sperm? Is it scientists? Yeah, they're doctors, so, neurologists. Yeah, so it's like I having would like a to medic. think it's fit IDF soldiers, but it, like female soldiers, but it's not. So it's just like a medic in the field. They they won't have a weapon on them, and like every, the whole team protects them. Maybe they've got a little handgun. Yeah, I think they're just medics. Wow. Yeah. So, um, Irid says that uh, PSR can be the easy part because it's a very long process. We've had approximately forty requests for extraction recently. And it was easy to allow them, but the next step is finding women to use the sperm. Good and Aryan women. I can empathize with that, though. In my experience, it's not easy finding women to use the sperm. <laughs> <laughs> women just don't appreciate sperm these days. You know, the fit IDF female soldiers should use the sperm. To create super soldiers. Now, this is like Demolition Man meets Universal Soldier. I wouldn't surpri- be surprised, actually, if the IDF does that. Like, takes the sperm, puts like some kind of crazy mutant like DNA into it, then impregnates one of the fit female IDF soldiers, creating Universal Soldiers. This would be such a like, fuck you to Hitler, who all he ever wanted was the super soldier. I'd be like, ha ha ha, you're dead, mate. Look what we've done. It'd be great. <laughs> that would be amazing. And they could be like really Hasidic. Oh, you could have super- like curlies that could have power, like it like shoot bear out. Jew. And- oh, that would be great. Just millions of bear Jews. That'd be amazing. And like the shrimal can just like it would immediately naturally spout grow. from their hair. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm into see- it. I think this is kind of cool. I'm going for it. I like it. Um, so Rosenblum said that she's been instrumental in the birth of more than 100 children. His long campaign for biological wills, which provides unequivocal guidance after death. So since the Hamas attacks, it's been really quick and easy to complete a biological will online. But Israeli society is very family-oriented, and continuity is a must. And that's why the government's fast-tracking this process, removing red tape so families can be like, I want that sperm. Oh, God. we got to keep going. Um, Yulia and Vlad Pozniansky, well whose done. son Baruch died of cancer at age 25, um, was helped by Rosenblum to, uh, to, to have a, a, you know, a child after uh, he was deceased. Uh, 15 years on, Eula still finds it difficult to talk about her son's death, but instead she focuses on the future and her granddaughter, who just turned eight. She said, we've made a new life with my son's sperm. We're very grateful to her, but she's also grateful to us. 
And so you're grandparents, but you're raising this baby. What about the mother? Where is she? Is she living in the household? No, they get donors. So you like raise the baby and give it to the grandparents. Oh, right. Yeah. So you donate eggs. Yeah. Which I think is quite a noble thing to do. But that's so weird then. Because this is basically essentially an orphan, even though there are two people who knew one of your Sort parents. of, but you don't have any, you don't, your father's dead. You're an and your mother's not even a member of your family. Yeah, this is weird. Planned orphanhood. It is planned it's bizarre. orphanhood. A lot of these are going to turn into weird serial killers. Probably, yeah. I imagine. But I mean, they're, they're you know being raised by loving parents. And what's interesting is the grandparents, which I find this like insanely selfish, if you think about it. It's it like is. you need to replace the loss of your son it's by having a replica of your son. I, I don't think it's replica. I just think it's grief acting out. It's like you can't, obviously you can't accept that they're gone. And so you'll you'll do anything to get them back, even a little piece of them. That's why I'm saying it. I think it's like I think it's kind of bad, and it shouldn't be allowed. Or they should say there's a mandatory waiting period of eighteen months. We're, but they don't want to do that now because I know they didn't do that because of this war well, and shit. October seventh. But yeah. there still should be no. It's like fine. We're gonna freeze your son's sperm that we've ejaculated out of him using this rod that but we the, shoved. You up need him. to get permission to do that. You can't just go and grab sperm. I know, but then it should be you have to wait 18 months before we will even consider putting his sperm into a donor. Because like, I bet in 18 months' time, a lot of people would be like, do you know what? I have accepted that this he died that day. Yeah, we don't need we don't need to raise a kid. No, you know what? I've just booked a trip to the Caribbean, and like having a kid right now would like derail my whole holiday. It's a cruise. It's ninety days. We've paid for it. Me and Heimel have paid for it. You know. Yulia describes uh, her this child as being brilliant, and the resemblance to the father is uncanny. Wouldn't you be so good if it didn't look anything like your son? Yeah, like, it just looked like someone completely different. Who is this dwarf um, in our house? Soldiers in the conflict must be told about their options, according to Yulia. They have to know that they can leave their parents or wife their biological will. Oh, my God. The sperm. So what's interesting about this on the, I guess, the, the corollary is jailed Palestinians have been looking for ways to conceive as well. Right. Not as technologically advanced as you can imagine. So Palestinians that have been interned in Israeli jails, often at years for a time, uh, were also locked in a partially successful effort at smuggling out their sperm to their spouses in Gaza to impregnate them via IVF. You know the Hillside Stranglers? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't... Uh, I can never remember, Carl Bueno Jr., whatever, the, one of the, the Hillside Stranglers, he got some jizz smuggled into him in jail. Not so he could use it, but he wanted to plant the jizz as like a form of defense. He got his girlfriend to smuggle it in, so then he could be like, he could plant it and be like, look, I, it obviously was wasn't me. Jail? It was when he was in jail for the fucking murders, and Where he was, was going to plant, plant it on like evidence. And then he was going to say... How? I don't get it. I don't fucking know what he Wait, was going to do with it. He got sperm smuggled into jail. By his to girlfriend. To plant it in jail? To plant it on some evidence, I think. So then he could turn around this and be like... Zero but there's sense. But there's other jizz on there. So there was obviously somebody else. The results are skewed. But they found him with the jizz. But his girlfriend had kept the jizz alive. So she had milked a man... On the way to the car, on the way to like the jail to go and meet him, to smuggle him this warm jizz. I think there's more to this story that you're skipping over because it makes no sense. 
I can't remember the ins and outs, but there's jizz. It was warm. She smuggled it to him, and then he got caught with the contraband, which is warm sperm. Well, it is possible. I mean, the, the Palestinians have been doing this. Although there is no publicly available data on how many Palestinian couples have actually conceived in this manner. Um, but this, you know, because their activity is very monitored, you know, especially in prison. And it's banned if they try to smuggle sperm out. Like the Israelis are like, no jacking off, no smuggling. You can jack off, but you got to flush the sperm. You know, you can't, you can't smuggle it out. Um, so the Washington-based Al Monitor news website, which I don't know what that is, maybe a pro-Palestinian site here, claims that 96 Palestinian children have been born via this clandestine process uh, since the first such baby was conceived from smuggled sperm in 2012. All 96 of them, the website stated, have been dubbed ambassadors of freedom. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How does one <laughs> smuggle sperm? Well, that's the thing, because the success rate of these, you know, clandestine sperm smuggling is, uh, you know, is pretty low, um, especially compared to like the Israeli, you know, the hyper efficient Israeli PSR techniques. And considering that live, you know, sperm has a lifespan up to 12 hours, you know, it's difficult to, you know, how do you maintain an environment that can sustain the life of the sperm? I've got it. If you're going to do it on a budget. I've thought of it. What you would do is you would have a very willing woman who's maybe ovulating. So she's at her peak juiciness. And you would ask her to like stick a test tube up inside her. Maybe not that. She shouldn't be putting glass inside your pussy. You would just be like, get a spatula, like, you know, a a medical one, not a real spatula you would frost a cake with because that would also be stupid. Get a medical spatula, put that inside your pussy while you're ovulating and you're at your juiciest and then shove that all on the inside of a test tube. So then when the sperm go inside it, they're like, holy fuck, this is what we wanted all along. And they're more likely to stay alive. Okay, but how are you going to get the test tube into the Israeli jail? Um, well, I mean, you could put it up your sleeve. You could put it in your boot. You but they don't have sock. visits. Did they not? No. <laughs> it's no. a jail for terrorists. I know, but like, I would just You're not going to come in would. there and visit them Oh my God, so what the, the, are the men's smuggling? Yeah. Smuggling so the, to other men's? So what they do to get the sperm into Gaza, they, they smuggle it in ampules like vials. The, they the put it, pussy vials, I'm telling no, you. No, they, they have separate little glass vials that they put the sperm in, give it to somebody that gets it out. I mean, they must, they must pay somebody, maybe a guard's getting paid to take it out. They put it in fountain pens, candy wrappers, chocolate bars, and even the tips of rubber gloves stuffed with date paste. That, yeah. What have no? This I I don't agree with any. Of it's this. arduous and time consuming. It doesn't have the highest success rate. Of course it doesn't. Um, but even if you think about it, you got to go through all the gauntlet of Israeli checkpoints. You know, carrying the smuggled sperm. So I wonder if there's like, you know, dudes that are just sperm dealers, like Palestinian sperm dealers. To you know, it's like you can pay them, kind of like a coyote that smuggles people into Mexico. But you get a sperm coyote a palestinian sperm coyote to smuggle sperm out of an israeli jail into gaza yeah like would they have to put it up their ass you're gonna have to put it up your ass to smuggle it out so there were men who were smuggling vials of sperm inside of their ass to get it out of the jail that's nearly homoerotic so what are you thinking the 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 sperm the palestinian sperm coyotes are gay it's kind of like one man one jar but the sperm (laughs) so as you can figure out here, there's an abysmally low birth rate for these Palestinian freedom ambassadors. 
Um, and Palestinian spouses even encounter another obstacle before undergoing IVF. Inherent Muslim conservatism and practices require the doctor to perform the procedure to have two members from the jailed husband's family there and an equal number from his wife's family to testify that the sperm is genuine. What, do they all fucking taste a little <laughs> and say taste that tastes <laughs> like my son? I think what happens is the sperm, Palestinian sperm coyote, he takes the sperm out of his ass, they dip their finger in it, they taste it, and they're like, yeah, this is some real shit. Yeah, it tastes like this Larry. This is genuine. Yeah. This is, this is genuine, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think that's the way it works. Oh, my God. So there are a lot of legal and ethical concerns here with posthumous sperm retrieval. Don't say. And not all hospitals and fertility clinics will even perform the procedure. You know, Israel does it, but the United States government uh, does have regulations for when and how PSR can be performed. They, they claim that the decision is up to the individual hospitals and fertility clinics. There's no U.S. official, like, governmental decision, but it's up to the, the hospitals and fertility clinics. And whether or not a facility will agree to PSR will depend on if it has the specialists, the equipment, and the storage capabilities to even do it. So it's not illegal in the U.S. Like, it's not a banned procedure here, but it's just how many people, you know, logistically can even do it or I'm, handle it. I'm thinking if you, if you could make a corpse spunk... If you can make a corpse spunk? If you can make a corpse I think you got to use the electroshock. Yeah, but then, but like, so say you've got like, I don't know, a 12-hour old corpse and you shove the rod up its ass. Would it spunk? I don't know if they get the sperm. Like if they have like, you know, some kind of tube hooked up to the nuts. So when it, you know, No, I want to know if it would ejaculate, if a corpse, a 12-hour-old corpse, actually would ejaculate. I'm kind of intrigued. Well, I think it does. I think it stimulates your prostate, and it causes an ejaculation. It might not come out of the, the penis, but they might, it might come out of the tube, like the vas deferens, and they just pull it out. No, I want it to come out of the penis. Cause it, why, do you, you can... why do you want to jack off corpses? I think it's hilarious. And also, it would be like so splodgy. It would be like phlegm, like probably the phlegmiest cum. Would you taste it? That's got a bit of green in it. For science. I would taste it for science. That's disgusting. I mean, like, sp- like spunk tastes like spunk. I can't imagine it, like, tasting worse. So the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, the ASRM, has issued guidelines on PSR. Uh, they state that the sperm or egg collection after death use is ethically justifiable if there's written documentation from the deceased that authorizes it. And so this is kind of like how Israel does those biological wills. In the absence of such documentation, programs should consider requests only from the surviving spouse or partner, not the family. Now, that's in the U.S., different than how it is in Israel. Yeah, that makes sense, I think, if you you could, because your partner could say we'd always talked about children, but we just never got around to doing, like, the biological will or whatever, but we were planning on having children. But you you can't be a grandparent that's like, hey... We want another one. That one died. Let's try round number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So the ASRM's guidelines also state that there must be adequate time for grieving and counseling before they'll even do this procedure. Like what I was saying. Like what you were saying. 18 months, man. Yeah. And hospitals should develop policies, you know, if they choose to offer the procedure that accommodates this. Um, Dr. Mills from UCLA said that most clinics, including his own, require some sort of advanced directive from the man or indication from the married partner that the couple wanted children, was actively trying to get pregnant, and so that's why it meets the ethical guidelines. But Israel, definitely pushing the envelope. (laughs) Yet again, they are. Yep, yet again. (laughs) So Israel is a pioneer in reproductive medicine. 
So I think it's a combination of high-tech medicine and their strong cultural existentialist bent for reproduction <laughs> results in the highest number of IVF clinics per capita. Seriously? And the highest number of IVF cycles for women in the world. Wow. So have they, there must be like some old ass mothers in Israel, like women, because through IVF, I mean, you yeah. can be in your 40s. I mean, there's grandmothers, there's grandparents raising kids. No, I'm, no, I mean, children. having them themselves. There must be women in their 40s going into their 50s in Israel who are becoming pregnant through IVF. It's an interesting stat. I'm not sure. Yeah, there, there will be if it's like the capital in the world. But the traditional ethical perspectives have been completely upended after October 7th especially among the young people that have been dying, even though they need to consider these ethical questions because I think it will be problematic in the future. Definitely, I think it will you know? be. And so when, when, these, when these grandparents, the parents or the, or the spouse, are facing such a horrendous loss, you'll do anything you know, to, to resolve that endless pain and grief. I understand it. But you shouldn't be undergoing drastic medical procedures that can have complications in the future without at least having a period to consider it and to think about it thinking about the repercussions yeah it's not a drastic decision that you can make so this doctor here um gil siegel the head of uh, bioethics at kiryat ono college in israel i love his name and a member of the university of uh, virginia on the faculty of the university of virginia law school has said that you know, bereaved parents should be allowed to access PSR, but they need time to debate and think about the implications of planned orphanhood, motivated by the request from the deceased parents. So planned orphanhood, in this sense, is that this child is born out of tragedy as a living memorial of a deceased soldier. These ki- That's what I'm saying. That, these, these kids are going to be are, fucked up. Yeah, they're going to become serial killers. Well, they're either going to become serial killers or like insane IDF soldiers, hell-bent on revenge. I mean, you know? both are I mean, entertaining. They, Don't yeah. get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of countries have completely outlawed the practice of PSR. But in Israel, it's largely the parents and not so much the widows that are fighting for the right to have grand- grandchildren. And that's what's causing, that's causing room for concern here. It is, yeah. You know, the discourse around fertility and birth must begin with mother, father, child, not grandmother, grandfather, child. Yeah, yeah. You're skipped. That's like there's a whole generation there that is being skipped over. Um, And also, I mean, just this living monument to your dead son. How is that healthy? Well, it's not healthy, Louise Bundy, mother of Ted. (laughs) Like, it's all going to go to shit. Well, Dr. Mills from UCLA said that, you know, giving grieving partners and families a chance to preserve a loved one's reproductive tissue and possibly even bring in the offspring makes perfect sense and can provide hope and comfort during a painful time. Yeah, to them, not to the kid. Well, to the kid. I mean, you're able to establish a family and even though the father won't be around physically, you know, they're still there. You still have the wife, you know, the wife's able to carry on their, you know, the the genetic legacy of her husband. Yeah, but that kid isn't going to be like, oh, I feel so comforted. I never met my dead dad and they forced his sperm out on the battlefield and here I am. That well, kid's never going to grow up to be just their own person. But that's they're why living in the shadow, as Ashley Simpson sang. 
I mean, possibly. They're living homage to their deceased father who was like a war hero or Israeli soldier. I mean, maybe he sucked as a soldier and that's why he died. But regardless, <laughs> he's a, you know, a living monument to them. But Dr. Jesse Mills said, you, need, you can do this, and I think it can have positive you know, implications, but at the same time, you need to, to consider the procedure ethically. And think of the consequences. Well, I don't think it is ethical to begin with. I just think, you know what? You're dead. And if you haven't already frozen your sperm, then it's the end. That's it. I know many uh, Israelis, especially the social workers, believe that the answer is clear in the wake of the Hamas attack on October 7th. If, as a country, we encourage people to donate organs after death, why aren't we giving people the right to donate sperm? (sighs) You know, we're not living in the Middle Ages. The technology is here. It's their human right. It was a catastrophe, and we owe it to them. We That's can, the Israeli attitude. It's like, we can rebuild him, but this time better. <laughs> Just the idea of these, like, you know, soldiers dying, getting gunned down, or blowing up on, like, a you know, an explosive device, and then just... Israeli medics just going out there with their sperm retrievals. These huge needles. Vats. These these big needles and vats. What's your name, soldier? (laughs) Gil Siegel. I like the idea of the illegal Palestinian cum smugglers, though. See, I think a lot of them are fakesies, and it's like you'll go, you'll pick up the vial, and you'll just, they'll chuck the vial out of like whatever shit car. (laughs) Yeah, whatever shit car. But that's why, you know, the spouse is giving a little taste, me like, doesn't taste the same. It's not it. This isn't the real shit. (laughs) That's not my mo. I know my most come, and that's not it. You shyster. This was cut with some Jew. I can taste it. I can taste it. I'm an expert. Oh, that could be a good job for me. I would be the cum tester, and I would tell you what genealogy your cum is just by taste alone. You could taste it and be like, this isn't pure Palestinian. I can tell. Mm, The grape of this variation. It has some blend to it. <laughs> you, would you like put it in a vial and, like, and swirl, it, swirl around. it around, take a couple <laughs> sniffs and then sip, then like take a little bit on your finger and just taste it? And I would be all hoity-toity about it. Yeah, totally. Would you rub it on your gums to see if they <laughs> Want to see if they numb? went numb. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, people, there, there you go. I mean, you, you got some options if you end up dying before you uh, get to have a kid. Just, just get don't a, have a kids. posthumous wank. It's what you need. <laughs> uh, People's episode 923 here is sick and wrong. We've got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a brief message from Adam and Eve. Ah, the holidays. It's snowing outside, the fire is crackling, and there's a big jar of unused lube on your nightstand. And that can only mean one thing. It's December. Yes, that time of year that we celebrate Christ's alleged birth with the purchase of a shiny brand new dildo at AdamEve.com. And if you use coupon code DIDDLE on your order, you'll get 50% off your first purchase, three free adult DVDs, and a free gift. Show your loved ones you still care and cram a brand new dildo down their holiday road. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, AdamAndEve.com, and making a purchase using coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E, like priests do to altar boys. Hallelujah. So we have a phone call to get to here. I'm saying one call because it's one long call. Now, typically, I don't play calls over three minutes. They go on the patron, the long calls usually. Yeah, they usually go on the, the patron. But this is good. So I'm thinking this is essentially two calls at one, if you think about it. Because it'd be, it'd be like six minutes for two calls. This is five minutes for one. Uh, but it's a good one. And it's from Tom Crones. Nice. Who we haven't heard from in a while. I love his voice. So uh, let me play this one. Hello, Dee. Hello, Kate. Tom Crone's calling. I hope you're both okay. 
I'm doing just fine. Um, so I'm following up with this story, not necessarily from my younger years. This was back in the winter of 2020, just before Christmas. I want to say just before Christmas. I think off the top of my head, it was December 20th. Uh, maybe, the, yeah. So, yeah, it was the 20th of December, maybe the 21st. Yeah, the 21st of, of uh, December is my brother's birthday. Is it? My uh, my dad's was the 28th. Oh, right. Wow, that's a little close to New Year's. I know. It kind of, it must, I always feel bad for, like, Christmas babies and people who have their birthday anywhere near Christmas yeah, time. Because nobody wants to gifts. celebrate it. No, well, especially, like, if it's a New Year's birthday, it's like, well, then you oh. got to do the combo. Yeah, and I feel like it kind of sucks. But, you know, it's your lot in life. And yeah. plus, later on, you get to be a Capricorn, though. So good for them of uh, 2020 like i said so the big lockdowns have happened and um we were going through a period of uh smaller lockdowns i don't know if you remember just just before christmas boris uh, and his little fucking cunty fucking cunty fucking cunty fucking friends uh <laughs> fucked everything up for us again well wasn't the whole deal is like boris is passing these like draconian laws you guys are stuck in your house People had to quarantine for like three weeks. No parties. Yeah. No parties and all this. Yeah, you weren't allowed to leave your house. You weren't allowed to go fraternize with people. But then Boris and all the other like your elitists yeah. were all like sitting there partying, having like orgies. Yeah, and he kind of got convicted of that. He's the first prime minister to ever be convicted of a crime. And guess what? He can't ever be prime minister again. Unlike a certain country I know. Yeah, unlike someone who called for an insurrection <laughs> and has been charged with it, but yet still is allowed to be present. Go figure. And um, so, 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 so anyway, um, because I hadn't seen my friends in a long time, we decided to meet my friend, um, one of my friends' uh, houses because he's got a big wooden shed out the back. And me and three or four of the boys went up there just before Christmas. Uh, bought a fucking quarter ounce of fucking cork. Um, little Shed bit of fucking party. MDMA. Shit loads of fucking weed, actually. And none of us really fucking smoke weed. Um, and uh, loads of fucking beer and whatnot. And I had a fucking proper blowout fucking party. Really good fucking night, man. So um, two of my mates who lived local to my um, friend's house, who we were staying at, walked home because it was walking distance and I on the other hand live about I don't know three or four miles away so I said at the beginning of the night do not let me fucking drink drive do not let me drink drive uh, because of my fucking job or whatnot um uh, so we in he's in Wales right he's a Welshman so yes. the same drunk driving laws apply to all throughout the United Kingdom, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's fucking harsh in Britain. They would take away his license. And if he's got a job driving, he would lose his job. He would lose his livelihood. But like how long is the license taken away? They take it away for fucking forever if they want. Wait, they take it away forever? They ban you from driving. Well, if here you've done they a... do it for like a few years. They can do that. It depends on like how intoxicated you are. If you maybe you murder some. Well, I mean, if you kill somebody. Well, then you're going to prison. You go to jail. Yeah. But, but they're way, way harsher about it in the UK. Do they do the thing that they do here? It's like once you've, you know, paid your fines, you know, you got to go traffic to a school. No, you go to traffic school and you got to take all the courses. And then do they do the thing where they like fit your fix your car with that breathalyzer device that you can't even start the car unless you blow in it? 
They must do for certain offenders, although I've never had any mates or boyfriends <laughs> who's had a I had a friend, a co-worker I had that uh, got pitched for drunk driving. He said, he was like, dude, it was the worst. He was like, I had to put this fucking device on my car, which just looks like this big, like, kind of like a kazoo that comes out of it. And he's like, and I had to like blow in it in order for my car to start. And then you had to blow in it like every 15 minutes. Even when you're driving. Yeah, what while about you're if you're driving. on the highway? That's Yeah, while dangerous. you're driving, you got to like, like blow in the thing. Anyway, he was just like trying to date on you know tinder and hinge at the time and he was just like it's just the worst like you pick up a girl because you got to drive i mean you got to drive it's a gentlemanly thing to do and so you pick the girl up and then it's like don't mind me (laughs) i I, I got a drunk (laughs) driving and you'd be like like blown in the kazoo to make the car start what would your impression be i'd be like are you ever gonna drink drink drive again are you repenting for your sin of it? And if they were like, fuck yeah, I am. Then I'd be like, okay. Because we all do f- make mistakes. Well, and I think in mistakes, America, yeah. there's a much bigger culture of drink driving. Like you guys will drink drive here. Whereas in Britain, I've always been like, we've got such good public transport. There's taxis. People come for you. Your mates will pick you up. Or you'll just walk the three or four mile home. Like, you know, you'll walk across fucking buyers and fields to get home well there's no excuse now with like lyft and uber that's what i think there's no excuse yeah i might want to know what my job is at the time i was working as a qualified um community mental health nurse i I, i'm I'm, I'm a qualified mental health nurse but now i'm retraining and to become a social worker. Oh, you'll, you'll be a fab job at the moment. It's co-occurring mental health, so I was working with mental health with um, people who are also drug users. <laughs> a fucking irony, eh? So, um, but that's why he'll be good. Yeah, and- yeah, because I think he's got the perspective. He's he'll a, know he's abused those drugs that these people you're addicted to. Yeah, exactly. So it gives you a good like. I always think some people are just made to be really good social workers. Like I don't, I could never do it. Because I just don't have patience, and if like well, you little... also don't have any empathy, you can give a shit. Well, I do have empathy for like I actually have a lot of empathy for teenagers because I feel like most teenagers are hard done by, and I would feel going with that. But I also don't have fucking patience for it. I'd just be like, you know what, grow up, just grow up a little, listen to your mum and dad maybe. Although your mum and dad are a bit cunt, I I agree with you. But you know, just listen to them a little bit more. You'll be all right. Get yourself to college. Get the fuck away from them. Grow a sack. Be a man. <laughs> <laughs> It was like fucking six o'clock in the morning, and I was like, "Fucking, I can't sleep." Fucking, so I decided to drive home. Oh. And I, I didn't have my car; I had my wife's car. So I drove home, got out of the house fucking seven o'clock in the morning, absolutely fucking wasted off my fucking face. My wife was downstairs. Both the kids had just woke up. I was like, "Oh fuck!" And she was fucking livid. She fucking told me, "Right, I'm fucking leaving." I was like, "Oh fucking." Oh, all right, whatever. Fucking. Hey, you made it home. So I went up to bed. In one piece. Fucking went to sleep. Really anxious as fuck, knowing my wife had left me. Uh, it turned out she didn't leave me. She was just fucking with me, really, because she knows how anxious I get when I'm fucking drunk. Uh, how anxious I get when I'm over, more accurately. So anyway, like his wife. I wake up about my day. It's kind of like my sister with Jer. Yeah. We talk about this on the second show because uh, Jer should have gone to bed. You already, we, we already, I already took you upstairs to bed. I had gone past the point and I, yeah. Yeah, last week's second show we get into <laughs> I it. can't remember being taken to bed. I already put you to bed. I do remember waking up thinking I was going to puke all over the floor. 
Well, you had to go to bed. You almost fell off the stool. You're getting racist. So <laughs> Jer was just on the stool, just kind of like sort of sleeping, just sort of passed out, but sitting up. And I was just sitting there chatting with my brother. For some reason, I don't know why I kept going. I just kept going. I drank a lot, but I kept going. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it like is. Like marathon drinker. Yeah. But my sister comes downstairs. She had been sleeping with the baby, and she comes downstairs, and she just looks at Jer, punched him in the shoulder, and is like, Time for you to go upstairs and go to bed. Like she just like lays down the law. Jenny's told. <laughs> that sounds like that's what's happening here. The wife and the kids are gone. I was like, oh fucking hell. Text her. She was only doing my mother's house. Told me she was just fucking with me. So anyway, I went downstairs, fucking still a bit fucking wired off the fucking chop. Like uh by chop D, I mean cocaine. Decided of a fucking wank on the set, like curtains closed. So fucking beating the fucking meat, as they say. There's a knock on the fucking window. So I, I fucking put my fucking knob away. My fucking hard erect cock goes back in the box. I open the window and there's a bloke here dressed as fucking Santa. I was like, and as soon as they open it, the bloke looking at me goes, what the fuck are you doing, you dirty fucking cunt? I'm like, oh, fucking fuck you, but you're knocking on my fucking door. What the fuck are you up to? He goes, well, 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 someone booked me to come here and see the kids dressed as Santa. I'm like, mate, fucking, I am the name. Fuck off. He goes, you're a dirty cunt. I'm phoning the fucking police. I'm like, yeah, fuck off, you fucking knob. Uh, and it's not like me to get angry, really. I, I'm not an angry guy at all. So anyway, I closed the curtains. And then I fucking realised then my fucking hard erect penis is fucking sticking up from the waistband of my fucking boxers. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, fucking, that really added to my anxiety, that did. Well, because I get anxious and I'm hungover. Uh, anyway, it's refreshing, I, I'm lucky he can I just say? Because I would have lost my fucking job, man. And I probably would have to fucking send, I don't know, sign a sex offenders register or something. You know, fucking mental health news, I can get his cock out for fucking Santa. <laughs> Dodge a bullet with that one, guys. Anyway, I hope you're okay. Ta da. <laughs> It's a very he Welsh was story. blocked by Santa. Yeah, it's a very Welsh story. <laughs> Gets his dick out for Santa. And can I just say, it's very refreshing to hear a man say that they have anxiety because I just I know it it afflicts a lot of women. So I'm um, like I'm happy to know that he also because I get anxiety from time to time. I think a lot of people get guilt for, for like because they're worried that they did something, something the night before. Like my ultra ultra hated thing is when I get like blackout drunk, wasted drunk. I just will avoid my phone the next day. Like I won't even go near it until I start to feel vaguely better. Cause I just feel I've definitely bought drunk stuff off Amazon or eBay and it arrives three day later. And then I feel really guilty about like, why did I do that? I shouldn't have spent that money. Or I just feel like, you know, maybe I've been saying something on Instagram and I think it's hilarious at the time, but it's obviously not hilarious because I'm a fucking <laughs> drunk. And yeah, I just avoid my phone. But nine times out of 10, I've actually done nothing wrong on my phone. It's just that one time that I do it, and then that just gives me the guilt for like a good couple of months. Yeah, I'm sure it was fine though. I doubt anything happened. Like last week, you know, you're drunk, you passed out before everyone else did, but I mean, you passed out and you woke up, it's fine. Yeah, I know. Did you I have didn't, anxiety? I didn't have anxiety. I was so hungover, I had skipped past the anxiety <laughs> into just worst hangover ever. And just feeling like shit. Just feeling like shit until midnight, and then I felt better. So I don't get it. In this story, when you're in Wales, do you hire Santa to come to your house? Oh, yeah. I've had a Santa come to my house when I was a kid. What? Why? 
It's like usually a pedophile in a Santa costume and they come in and there's actually a very uh, popular picture that my mum will show people and it's me and my two brothers and we're all in the bathtub, all fucking naked and Santa's there. What? There's a dude looking at the naked kids. I don't think it was my dad either. It's a Santa, like a hired Santa. That's beyond Santa. creepy. Things were different back then, man. I think everyone was just like, uh, It was like the fucking 90s. Yeah, Late eighties. That's weird. Yeah, I know. That is weird. But why? Yeah. Why don't you just go to the fucking mall? That's where the Santas are. Take a picture. But tell me where the malls are in the UK. I don't know. The center of town. Just have a Santa there, and you go. go Aye, there. that happens too. But you can hire people that will be Santa to come to around come your, to house. your house. Yeah, that's bizarre. You can hire them. Sometimes, like, if you live in, like, a street where you're all friendly with each other, you'll all, like, chip in. They would never do that And he'll come down every country. house, and he'll take your list off and do they that. They would never do that in well, this country. Well, yeah, because in this country... It'd be like bad Santa come to your it house. It would be bad Santa. Well, I'm pretty sure it was a bad Santa when I was a kid. <laughs> but, but this, I mean, I would have been fucking furious if I was Tom Crones. Sitting there having a wank, you know, and it's one of those, like, cocaine, like, you know, hungover boner went like you've got to you know, blast it out. You got to blast that out. You're probably getting some chafing. It's taking a long time. You got to really concentrate to maintain the erection. Not to mention how long it took him to find the perfect clip on Pornhub that that works. And then this cockblocker in a fucking Santa outfit's knocking on your door. I would have been fucking. I would have flashed on the guy. Well, he did flash. Well, I guess on him. he did flash, but I would have flashed angrily <laughs> without my cock sticking out of my pants. <laughs> That's another thing, like, dude. How big is your dick? Like, why can't you just put your dick back in your pants? Well, I think he's trying to humble brag that he's got a super huge cock. <laughs> maybe, or maybe he wanted to show his cock to Santa. I have only slept, I think I've only slept with like two, one Welshman. I definitely remember John. I want to say he was very well endowed. Well, did you say, uh, what's his name? Liam Neeson? Liam well Neeson, but he's Irish. Oh, I always think he's, he's not Welsh. Welsh. Richard Burton, you know, uh, the man with the most delicious voice to have ever lived, who was married to Liz Taylor twice. He, he was packing heat. You know he was. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes mm-hmm. Santa Claus. I'm going to show him my cock. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Tom Crones was thinking. Thank you, Tom, for calling in. Great and call. people, give us a call. 323-522-4032. Or just send an MP3 to sickroundpodcast at gmail.com. We do have the holiday show coming up very soon. And uh, we, we spoke to Wackerly. He's down for doing it. Steel is down for doing it. So give us some calls. You know, and uh, we'll, just for the backlog, we'll save it and we'll play it on the holiday show with uh, your two favorite uh, previous podcast hosts. <laughs> Steel's my favorite. Sorry, Wackaloo. Anyway, thanks to all the listeners who support us on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate you helping, helping us keep this show going. Uh, Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. And finally, if you want to buy some, uh, some merch, good idea for some stocking stuffers. Some mm-hmm. sick and wrong, yeah, yeah. sick and wrong Saucy. stickers that that works, or uh, go get a go get a tea for grandma, um, or a, a wall banner. Oh my god, somebody please buy the enjoy bukaki t-shirt for their grandma. <laughs> what's bukaki? Or, the, or what's the what's the vart shirt? I feel like Tommy could be the type of person who could buy them for his relatives and not really get away with it, but get away with it. I think you could have a very awkward white elephant if you get some uh, sick and wrong merch. Sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and check out the Tea Public store. Finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. I was gutted to find out 
I know you weren't, but I was. I absolutely was. That Shane McGowan, the hard drinking frontman for the Irish punk band The Pogues, has died. Good. Good. He died last Thursday at 65 years old, which is kind of like. um, 65 is pretty old for him. Yeah, but a bit of a Mandela effect. Did you think that dude died already? Um, I obviously do not care for the Pogues, and I do not care for Shane. So, like, I couldn't give two shits. So he, I'm actually kind of glad that he's dead and I'm alive right now. <sighs> That's harsh. I love the Pogues, and uh, they're an incredibly influential band. Um, and I mean, they, they've influenced so much music, you know, over the years. Not played to me, with they so haven't. many great people. They're they they're they are an integral music to the uh, the the British punk scene. They were. They were great. Fuck him. Um, but uh, Shane's wife, Victoria Mary Clark, who's much younger than he is. I don't know if you saw a picture of her. <laughs> She's kind of hot. But I think I know why she married him. Well, I think so, too. For those too. tasty Christmas well, royalties. Well, could you imagine dealing with that guy? God, he looked like fucking death. And look at the, that fucking smile. Uh, definitely a British smile. But just even trying to understand him, you'd just be like, aye, all right, all right, Shane, aye, all right. And you'd just hope he would just go off to like his corner. And just do whatever he does. It's amazing music. But anyway, he died on Thursday at 3 a.m., November 30th. Official cause of death uh, wasn't provided, but he had recently left the hospital in Dublin after a diagnosis of encephalitis. What's that? Isn't that a kidney failure? Is it? Or is it? It sounds like liver failure. It sounds like elephant man disease. Yeah. I think it's liver failure. Um, Shane was an Irish kid who grew up in England, and uh, he wrote and sang a kind of a fusion of folk and punk. Uh, the band The Pogues was once described as a barroom brawl with instruments, and uh, his drinking and drugging over the years was legendary. I mean, you'd think he would have died years ago, yeah, um, but he didn't, and he managed just to live to the age of sixty-five, which is kind of astonishing. And that's older sense. than my dad made, so. Yeah, Pogues guitarist Philip Chevron said, people have given Shane six months to live every year since he's been 19. <laughs> I mean, he looked it too. Fuck yeah, God, he did. God, just looked like death. Uh, McGowan said, I'm just following the Irish way of life. Cram as much pleasure as you can in your life. Rile against the pain that you have to suffer as a result and then wait for it to be taken away with beautiful pleasure. <laughs> so be an alcoholic, ruin other people's lives and, just and it'll all be it when okay. You, die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, me and uh, Big Jer actually saw the Pogues one year. I only saw them once, but I saw them once at the Fillmore. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, I don't know what, something happened where Jer and Stephanie got this Airbnb, like in Oregon, I think. They got this Airbnb and something happened to it, like a pipe broke and they had to leave and they had to get another place. And the, the owner of the house that they were staying in felt so bad. He was like, listen, we're not going to use these Pogue tickets. You could just have them. And my sister's like, I'm not fucking going to that. Yeah, see, Stephanie. (laughs) Me and Jer went and checked out the Pogues. It was a brilliant show. And almost, I would say half the show, Shane McGowan had a pint of beer bouncing on his head while he was singing. Uh, Can we put the word singing in inverted commas here? (laughs) While he was just speaking shite into a mic. Which, to be fair, I do. We're going to end the show with one of my favorite Pogue songs. Turkish Song of the Damned from their third studio album, If I Should Fall from Grace with God. It came out in 1988. Um, I definitely recommend the first three uh, Pogues records. They're awesome. You know, Shane would have been 66 this Christmas Day. He was born on Christmas. Oh, do you know what? Can they finally stop pay- playing Fairy Tale of New York now? Because even without the word faggot, it's still a shit song. But at least it's that word made it song. interesting. It's, one of it's the, shy. Name a better uh, Christmas song than that. Slade. What's Slade Christmas song? 
what the fuck are you talking about? So here it is. Merry Christmas. Everybody grab a gun. Not better than Fairy Tale in New York. Fairy Tale in New York is, is a great duet. It's Slate legendary. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be listening to it this year while pouring Jameson into their eggnog. <laughs> people, um, um, I think you can all join me. Lift up a shot. Rest in peace, Shane McGowan. You will be missed. We'll be back next week with uh, episode 924. Till then, take it sleazy. Tonight across the running sea No, 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 that I crossed And a blood Christ can bring you hope to see That dead old king to claim a dead family They stand outside of the past going through Did you keep my watch from a dead man's wing? Did you see the woman with a cobra man? Wailing away on the wall And stands who danced the talking song of the time Ship went down and left me on the deck. The captain's curse jumped up and threw his arms around my neck. For all these years I've had it on my back. This deck cannot be paid with all your jack. Did you keep a watch for a deck man's wind? Did you see that woman with a corner of hand? Wailing away on the wall and shines, you dance the talk, a song and a dumb. Did you keep a watch for a deck man's wind? Did you see that woman with a corner of hand? Wailing away. Just farted in a guy's face while he sniffed my arsehole for a hundred pounds.
for five minutes. Yeah, I'll cross the road too, love. I'm off for a 3-5 now on the Chinese, I think.